Today we begin a brand new series of messages over the next seven weeks, and we're going to be talking about some fun, fun things. At least they're fun from my perspective. I don't know that there's too many of us that aren't at least remotely familiar with what I would call the Marvel Universe. The Marvel Universe is filled with heroines and heroes, villains, there's all kinds of superheroes and all kinds of crazy and wonderful things. But it didn't start in the 2000s, as you might imagine. It actually goes back to 1939, and a man by the name of Martin Goodman began a company called Timely Comics, and it was a comic book company. Well, that eventually evolved into Marvel Comics in the 60s. From there, we have all of these developments of these characters over this period of time. And I will tell you that Mr. Goodman, he did not foresee the incredible success of the Marvel Universe. In fact, the movie Infinity War, which was one of the most recent Marvel films, grossed, are you ready for this, worldwide, two, over two billion dollars and was the fastest movie in history ever to have two million admissions to see the film. Who would have thunk... Who would have thunk in 1939 with a little company called Timely Comics it would turn into what it is? I'm sure he did not. But you look at this and you say, okay, what is this all about? Well, here's the thing. A movie, a TV program, or a community play, they all have a cast of characters. And it is the same in many respects in the scriptures. There are characters throughout the scriptures that we should take note, that we should look at their lives and then learn from their lives. Some of us, like I did, I grew up with Bible stories. These were my heroes. These were my villains at some time. And that book is a book that I read to my, we read to our kids year after year as they were in the formative stage. But then they turned and they started doing these things called Superbook videos, and they watched the Superbook and all of the adventures that were connected to Superbook. And the Superbook, if you don't know, is the scriptures, is the Bible, and there were stories. And then it, it gravitated from Superbook to Veggie Tales. And who doesn't love, you know, Bob and Larry, you know, the cucumber and tomato? I mean, they tell all kinds of great stories. But then if you're really old school, you go way back and you remember Flannel Graph. And Flannel Graph was amazing. You'd tell a story, and then the character would fall on the floor. And then they have to pick the character up, pin him back on, and fall off the floor. But I recall so wonderfully these stories. These stories became larger than life to me. But it was more than the stories, but it was the characters. You know, I would think, I was reading just yesterday, the story of David and Goliath. And I'm just taken by that story, and I'm right in the middle of it. I can, I can in many ways see myself in the Valley of Elah and, and these battle lines being drawn up and it's, it's just amazing. And so what do we take away from this? What do we take? And just, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Ready? The Marvel Universe and the character, they're not real. Now I know you said, what? All, they're not real. They don't exist. But the characters in Scripture do. They're real people. Real events. And it's our faith history is founded on so much of, what, of who they are and what they did. Paul said something really significant in Romans chapter 15. And this is going to be the anchor verse of our series over these next seven weeks. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. 
so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. This is a great verse because what it does for us, when Paul is talking about the scriptures, what is he talking about? He's not talking about the New Testament, he's talking about the Old Testament. That, were, that was the scriptures to which he was referring. And so he looks at these stories and the, the prophetic nature, the, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the wisdom literature, and he says these scriptures, the history of Israel, of how important it is. And he says it for three reasons. He said, first, for endurance, because you and I are going to have to, life just naturally causes us to have to endure some stuff. Where can we get some helpful helpful advice or counsel to endure. He also talks about encouragement. He said they will encourage you. And the outcome of that is that we receive hope. Now, I don't know. Hope is a commodity that every one of us, well, I'll, let me just rephrase. Hope is a commodity I can use more of. And how do we receive hope? Through what has been given to us in Scripture. So we're going to talk about some characters over these next number of weeks. In 2014, there was a movie titled Noah. It starred a man by the name of Russell Crowe. Now, why do I bring this up? Because if you've ever seen the movie, I want to tell you, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Here we go. Ready? There was a guy in the movie called, named Noah. There was a big boat. There was a lot of water. And there were some animals. Other than that, the story was off the rails. That's about the only thing it has in common with Scripture. And I think sometimes we let Hollywood or we let other people, other narratives direct what we know and believe about what Scripture teaches us and what we can learn from it. So what I want to do for a few moments, give you a little background information on the story. So we're going to do so by first setting the stage. Setting the stage for this character, Noah. First of all, Noah's family. Noah's family, his great-grandfather was a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch was a youngster when he, when he was taken away. There were two things about Enoch that were unique. First is that he is characterized in, in Genesis as a person who walked with God. Now that, to me, is a really significant characteristic. He walked with God. The second thing that we know about Enoch is that God took him away. And he went, he went away at the age of the, right, the, the very young age of 365 years. Now, that seems like, well, what? Three, that guy, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, but he was the youngster in the story. Everybody else lived 777 years, 950, 962, 969. So the age, rather the lifespans were enormous. But it's interesting that he took, he was gone at 365. But what's significant about Enoch was his son. His son was named Methuselah. Methuselah lived to be 969. Now, he was the oldest recorded in Scripture. But why is that significant? Because Methuselah's name, by most understanding or most scholars' understanding, his name means when he dies, it will be sent. Now, what is that referencing? Now, we know because we have the, we have the, the, the luxury of all Scripture, of all the Scripture. When he dies is when the flood came. The judgment of God came at the end of Methuselah's life. So what does that tell us? It tells us that Enoch was prophetic in naming his son. In other words, giving a warning to the, to the generation, to Enoch's generation, that something was coming, something was changing. Methuselah was the evidence of that. 
And it's fascinating to me that in the midst of all of the turmoil and difficulty of our world, God always extends a hand of grace, mercy, and love. And I see that in the life of the Methuselah. So I just leave this little phrase with you. Methuselah is great evidence of the grace, mercy, and long-suffering of God. Now, why do I say that? Because think of it this way. Every time someone would have mentioned Methuselah, what's your name? Methuselah. So when you die, it will be sent. What, what is that all about? Methuselah may not have known it all, nor may have, may, Enoch may not have known it all. That's not the point. The point is, is that every time his name was mentioned, it was a statement that something is changing, something is coming. You need to be aware that there is something on the horizon yet to be experienced. Peter would say it this way, the Lord is not slow in doing what he promised, the way some people understand slowness, but God is patient with you, not wanting, I love this, not wanting anyone to perish, or not wanting, not to want, he does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. You see, God will always extend grace and mercy in the challenging or the challenges of life and then then there was then there was Noah's dad his name was Lamech and each of these individuals prior to the flood are what are called what we call patriarchs the patriarchs are simply uh, characters regarded as fathers of the human race and Noah was the last of those pre-flood patriarchs well that's kind of his family setting the stage of his family. Then you go on to Noah's world, the world itself, which is interesting. Now, depending upon the chronology that you will look up, there's a, a number of them, but one that has been most traditionally used within the community of faith puts the time of Noah about 2,000 years after creation. Okay. Now, what's interesting is as you study this, you discover that some would believe that the population of the earth at that time was extreme. In other words, it was gigantic. Now, I'm not here to say it was or it wasn't. We simply don't know. It's speculation. But when you begin to think about the, the conditions, God had created a perfect world. God had also from there was almost perfect DNA from God to Adam and then through Adam's descendants. You had extraordinarily long lifespans. So the possibility of a huge population is absolutely possible. But more than those facts about what the population may have been, this is what we do know from Scripture. Genesis, Genesis chapter 6 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. Now look at this. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was on evil, was only on evil all the time. Now, we don't know how many people were living, but we know the condition of their hearts. That the, and this, this, rock, this rocks me every time I read it, that every inclination was on evil only. That, that's the thing that consumed them. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I'll wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created with them, the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I've made them. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. Do you see it? Do you see it? A continual wickedness, a sorrowful God, 
a corrupt, a corrupt society and unrestrained violence, what happened? Best way to describe it is that sin, sin had reached critical mass. And because, and it, and it demanded a divine response. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I can't reconcile this, Gary. It, it doesn't seem to work. How can a God that you call a loving God, a graceful God, a compassionate God, a merciful God, how could God do this? This makes no sense. Understand, humanity has turned its back on a benevolent God, has shunned his overtures, has disobeyed what he had put into place. The DNA of sin that came into this world through Adam has infected the entire human race, and just so that you know, that DNA remains in us today. God had granted them free will to make a decision to follow him or not follow him, yes, but that's a statement of his love because he's not going to force or compel us to love him. So he gives us the choice. Yet, in this ideal environment, rebellion and disobedience now rule the day. It's everywhere. The creator, hear this, the creator will respond to his creation. But don't miss this. Even as God's justice even as God's justice is witnessed, his grace abounds. And why do I say that here? Because it's important for us to know, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. But I wonder, here's a question for us. I wonder, has sin, has, has sin reached critical mass again? Are, are we in that same place where every inclination and the thoughts of our heart are only on evil all the time. Our society seems to have just totally gone off the rails. And everywhere we turn, it seems like something is being pushed back in our what is What is happening as sin reached critical mass again? And once again, it's important to know that the Creator will respond to the creation. He will. But even as God's justice is witnessed, his grace abounds. How do I know that? I know that from two, at least two different things in this story. One is a guy we've already talked about. His name is Methuselah. When he dies, it will be sent. 969 years more of Enoch's generation to come back into a relationship with a loving God. I, I, there's one other one, and that's about a big boat a guy will build. And the questions that would have been asked of him at the construction site, building a boat, huh? Where are you going to put that monstrosity? Who told you to do that? What's it for? It's a statement of the grace of God and the long-suffering of God. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, but as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace becomes more and more abundant. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I want you to take heart this morning, no matter how sideways our world may go, how bad things may seem, no matter how sin prevails, grace abounds more and more. It is greater than all our sin. Praise God for his grace. Well, the principal character of the story is Noah. And we've talked a little bit about his family. And he was a prominent Old Testament character. 
Now, his name is, is interesting. Lamech named him Noah, which means he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil. Now, it could be that Lamech was being prophetic when he named him, hoping that, that the curse that God had put upon the earth would end with Noah. And in some respects, it did, because there was a complete change of things. But he may not have seen the total understanding or, or have a total comprehension of why he named him Noah. He had three sons. Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They would become the fathers of the earth. And then Noah built an ark. A boat that looked a little bit like this, from all artists' understanding and conception. It was 450 feet long, 75 feet uh, wide, and 45 feet high. The, the structure of this incredible ship, the stability is amazing. They have done study after study using these same dimensions. It could withstand incredible tension of waves and the tumult that would have been created by a global flood. Now, some of us, some within the theological community, a faith community, some believe it was a local flood. Some believe it was a regional flood. Some believe it was a global flood. I choose to believe a global flood, and if you don't believe that, you're wrong. So there you go. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not as much as important as to whether local, regional, or global, but it is important to know this. Noah and his family survived the flood. That's what's important. God made a way for them to survive in a difficult time. And nothing changes today. God will make a way for those of us who belong to him to endure, to be encouraged, and to have hope. Hallelujah. That's, the, that's what's important for us to understand. Psalm 37, 25, remember I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken of their children begging for bread. God will take care of us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then lastly, is Noah was, a unique, was unique in his day. He was unique. Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Look at what we, we see recorded here. Now, now Noah found favor in the eyes of, God, eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. What is so significant about that is if every inclination of evil was on the thoughts, it was the thoughts, this is what directed everyone. Here's a guy, here's a guy in the middle of the mess who's living righteously before God. So don't tell me that in the midst of, of the mess of our world that we cannot live righteously before God. We can't. We can't. And Noah is proof of this. And he's an encouragement to us. With all this information in place, he's unique, but what can we draw from his life? There's the first thing we can draw. He found God's favor. Found God's favor. I would like to look at it like this. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Another translation would say he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I'm grateful for the grace of God. And I'm also grateful that I learned from this that in the midst of all of this, God noticed Noah. Now you say, what does that have to do with it? God notices you. You're on God's radar. You go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not so sure I like that. Well, I, I would hope we would. That we would... There's something special about being noticed. Now, when Marcy and I were in college, she tracked me down and pursued me until she caught me. It was a wonderful thing. That's not actually true. However, I will tell you what was true, what is true. She did notice me. And that's pretty cool. When, some, when somebody notices you, you kind of know it too, you know. Oh, she's, she's checking me out. 
She likes, she likes what she sees. I'm going, you better believe it, baby. Come on. I'm just, anyway. <laughs> My point is there's something really special about being noticed. And I want you to know something. God notices you. You're on God's radar. We are not some unknown commodity. We, we are not unknown to God. And how amazing is it when you look at Noah? He was noticed by God. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, God, let it be so that I would find favor in your eyes when you see me. You would be pleased with what you see. And then you read about his characteristics, that he was righteous and he was blameless and he walked with God. It's powerful. He found God's favor, found God's grace. And just so that you know, it's so important. Matt Redman wrote a song a, couple, a few years ago, it just says, grace finds me. I love that fact. Grace finds me. And the grace of God finds us. Remember, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us to do long ago, for us long ago. Praise God for, the, for his grace. The second thing that I see in Noah's life is, is his character was exemplary. His character was exemplary. You know, We've already shared the world that he lived within was messed up. Evil and corruption was everywhere. Violence was just kind of the, it was the norm. And it's, what's really sad, what's really sad is that it seems as if our world is in a similar place. Is that it's violence, it's corruption, it's, it's things in the common vernacular would be 24-7, 365. It's just all the time. We can't seem to get away from it. And the more, I, I think the more that you watch cable news, the more you listen to the, the, the radio, you're on the internet checking various news feeds out, you're, you're on Twitter, you're on, and you're, you just see all this stuff, you go, my goodness, where, where's this all going to end? Is it going to end? And so I just asked the rhetorical question again, has sin reached its critical mass again? Because it seems that way. And in the midst of all of that, you have Noah who is righteous, righteous man. Here's how he's characterized. Verse 9 of, uh, of chapter 6. He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully. He walked faithfully with God. What a powerful statement. He was the counter. He was countercultural to everything that was going on around him. And I have to ask myself this question. Am I walking counter to everything culture, culture is? Sometimes it's just easier to get into the flow of culture, isn't it? Don't answer that. Because we all know the answer to it. It is. It's a little bit like getting into a river. And you walk out into the river, and when you get about ankle deep, it's not a big deal. Knee deep, not so much. Waist deep, you're starting to feel a pull. And the deeper you go, you begin to catch the current of the river. And the river will take you the direction it will go if we allow it to. And we dare not allow the culture to pull us in the direction it will naturally go. We are, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to push against that culture. It's not the most popular thing to do, but that's what Noah did. And he becomes a great example for us. His character was exemplary. 
And one of the things that so, is so striking to me in his story is, that he, is this phrase, that he walked faithfully with God. You notice his great-grandfather was characterized as what? Who walked with God. We don't know that of Lamech, his father, but we know that of one of his, his great-grandfather. So, what does that look like? When I was growing up, when I was five years old, my dad would take me golfing with him. And the reason he could play golf, he could play golf on Mondays as a pastor. The local country club was closed, and they let pastors play free. And so they let me tag along with him. And I learned the game. Now, what was so fun about this is I walked with my dad for about four and a half hours on Mondays during the summertime. What that did for me, it taught me a lot of life lessons. It taught me he, when I would do something that wasn't right on etiquette or with the game, dad would correct me. When I'd do something good, he'd praise me. We would walk together and just talk about everything. We'd, talk, we'd laugh together. I would laugh at him. He would laugh at me. We would have a, a bag of peanuts and a, and a Coke at the end of nine holes. And this time together, I value that time together. Why? Because I got to connect with my dad. And you see, that's what walking with God means is connecting with our Heavenly Father and allowing Him to correct us, allowing Him to encourage us, allowing Him to praise us, allowing Him to grow us, allowing Him to change us and make us into what He wants us to be. We see that in Noah's life. He was righteous and blameless and he walked faithfully with God just as his great-grandfather had done. Walking, make a time, make a time to daily walk with God. I'm going to say it again. Make a time to daily walk with God. Scripture and prayer and worship. Also, the third thing that I see in Noah's life is that his obedience was unconditional. Two different occasions in this story, we see Noah as being characterized as this, that he did everything God commanded him to do. Everything. It was without qualification. Now, that in and of itself is really strong. Just go and look at the story of Moses. When Moses was called by God. Now Moses turned out to be an incredible leader, incredibly faithful, and incredibly obedient. But, but hear this. When he started out, he said, you want me to do what? Now this is my, you're not going to find that in the book of Exodus, but that's essentially what he's saying. And then at the end of that conversation, Moses finally got to the point and said, would you please send somebody else? He was not having any of this. And he finally complied, and he didn't. God did great things through Moses. The point is that you don't see that in Noah's life. In fact, you're not even going to see Noah respond or talk at all in the story that bears his name. You just see what he did. You don't hear from him. And one of the things you see is an unconditional obedience. Now, I'm going to tell you over the next seven weeks as we study these characters together, that's a word you're going to get tired of hearing, is obedience. Because... The blessing of God always follows obedience to God. Always. And obedience is critical. And it's in the small things as well as the large things. He obeyed God in everything that he did. Listen to Deuteronomy 5. Oh, that we would always, oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear me and obey all my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. Now, there's an incredible promise. Obedience is going to break blessing to us as well as to our descendants. And then the fourth thing is that he made worship a priority. Now, Noah and his family had been in the ark approximately a year with animals. 
I can't even imagine. Just think about it for a little bit. You'll figure out what I'm talking about. I can't even imagine. And they're finally getting the fresh air, okay? And that, that's had to be a welcome sight. But it's interesting. They don't talk much about the fresh air. They come out of the ark and they do the first thing. They built an altar. Listen to what Genesis 8.20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. First thing he did, he worshiped. He worshiped. The flood is over. Noah and his family been in the ark a year with their family. And the first thing they did was worship. Let it be said of us that we would worship. And there are a couple of verses that I'm not going to take the time to read from 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and then also from Romans 12 that speaks so strongly of our responsibility to worship, to seek God, to ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. You don't have to be in this environment to worship. We can worship on our own, but this environment is so strong. Worship daily. That's another part of walking with God on a daily basis. Make worship a priority. So as we bring our time to a close this morning, the title of this series is Cast of Characters. But then there is a byline. Ancient, hear this carefully, ancient wisdom. Ancient wisdom. It's ancient and relevant at the same time. And what I want to do is give you four things that I believe are the relevant wisdom that we can draw from this story of Noah. And the, and the characters that we're going to study over this series, we're not going to go deep into the, this was not about the flood, this is not about the scientific stuff of Genesis. That's not what this is, nor will any of the others be. This is to draw from these individuals the endurance, the encouragement, and the hope that we can find in their life. The first is this, and I left out a word, and I want you to add it if you're taking notes. The first one is this, to remember, remember the, D, the DNA of sin remains. Remember that. Why is that important? Why is that relevant wisdom? Because you would think that once the flood came and that everything was getting a fresh start, that that thing called sin, that curse of sin would have been eliminated too. Well, one could hope. But listen to what we read in Genesis 8. The flood is done. The worship is going forth to God. And this is what we read. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Thank goodness. Even though, whoa, every inclination of the human art is evil from childhood. Hear that? The DNA of sin remains. And for us as followers of Jesus Christ, it is so important to understand the, 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 the truth of the word of God. In Adam, sin was birthed. It now continues down generation after generation after generation to now 2019. And as long as there is humanity, there will be sin as a part of our DNA. Listen to scripture, Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if it just stopped there, we would be without hope. But listen to what Paul says, for the way of sin is death. Oh my goodness. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. While there is a DNA of sin for us as followers of Christ, we need to remember that DNA is there, but also understand that God has made a way through Jesus Christ that we can be forgiven and free and experience life and have the relationship with this benevolent creator, this loving God that he's always desired that we would have. Through Christ, we can experience that. The second part of this relevant wisdom is that we live in similar times. Beware. Be aware. It's really fascinating to me. Fast forward now thousands of years. Jesus is teaching 
Matthew chapter 24, this is what we read. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows when the Son of Man returns. Look at this. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Hear me, church. It will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. I wonder, has sin reached critical mass again? Is it? And I'll just go out on a limb and say it. We are living in the days of Noah. At any moment, our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer can return. But understand this. I may not know when He is coming, but I know He is coming. We are in the days of Noah. Our society is sideways. Our culture is messed up. And it appears that sin and evil is 24-7, 365. We can't seem to get away from it. It seems as if culture pulls us and pulls us and pulls us farther away from the righteousness and the blamelessness that Noah exhibited in the midst of a similar society. We live in the days of Noah. The parallels are stunning. Corruption and violence and evil is rampant. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Or, or has sin reached critical mass in your life where you are just upside down? That sin rules more than righteousness rules. That culture has pulled you so hard into the river that you cannot get out of its current. The third thing, the relevant wisdom, is to live with character. I, I look at Noah's life and I'm, I'm amazed that God found him in the midst of all this mess. Why? Because he lived righteously, blameless, and he walked with God. I was reading this week, found a stunning statistic. The 57, only 57%, let me back up, I'm going to do, do a little different. Approximately 80% of Americans have a minimum of four Bibles in their home. Okay, 80%. 57% of Americans read their Bible four times a year or less. 26% of Americans read their Bible only they read it four times a week. Think about it. Yet we want the blessing of God in the midst of the junk. We don't understand why culture continues to pull us in the way that the current is flowing. We don't get it. Why can't I have an abundant life that God's promised me? Why am I so, why do I struggle so much with all of this stuff? Why, why, why? Well, are we walking with God faithfully? And I believe one of the ways we walk with God is to be people of his word. This is an extraordinary road map for the walk of life. Here it is. Here it is. 
And I have said this so many times. I've only been your pastor about two and a half years. And I've probably said it, I don't know, a hundred times. Be people of the word of God. We have no excuse. You carry that smartphone with you, you got it. Every translation, every commentary that's out on the public market, you got it. Spend time in the word of God. Walk with God in his word. Walk with God in prayer. Walk with God in worship. And what's going to happen? You're going to be able to turn against the current of society and you're going to be able to walk upstream and you will be found and noticed of God as being righteous and blameless because you walk with him. Because you walk with him. Jude 20 and verse 21 says, But you, dear friends, carefully build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit, staying right at the center of God's love, keeping your arms open and outstretched, ready for the mercy of our Master Jesus Christ. This is the unending life, the real life. And the part that I want you to hang on to is build your faith. Build, build, build. Grow your faith. And number four is share the good news of Christ with others. We live in the days of Noah. Sharing the good news of Christ is something that your life will testify to as you walk with him. I will tell you, we don't know exactly how long it took Noah to build the ark. Some believe it was a few years. Some believe all the way up to 120 years. We don't know. But I know this. When he started construction, people stopped by. Say, Noah, what are you doing? Building a boat. Why? There's no water. Not anything close. That This thing's huge. Why is it so big? Well, God told me to do this, and God said this, and God said this, and this is what I'm doing. Okay, come back five years later. Noah, you're still building this boat? You say, well, what does it have to do anything? Listen to what Peter says. And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned, <laughs> Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. The point is, is that Noah shared what God was doing. And I believe that it's incumbent upon us that we take from Noah's example to share the good news of Christ. And we do that at least in two ways. We do that through our life. Let your life be such a difference in the culture in which we live that people cannot all they can say is, you're just different. What is it? When everything is sideways, man, you've got such peace. How, how can you be at such peace when there's a 7.1 earthquake out in Ridgecrest? Now, I know some of you were a little shook up, I imagine. That's a joke, folks. Come on, help, help, a, help a brother out here. A little shook up. But the reality is, People get, people wig out when the ground shakes. What's happening? What's going on? How can you stay at peace? Because I know in whom I have believed. I know him, and he knows me, and it's all good. Whether I live or whether I die, I belong to Jesus. Do you have the same confidence? When you live with that confidence, when you are pushing against the, the culture of this world, people are going to take notice and they're going to ask eventually. Be ready to give an answer. And you say, but I don't know what to say. Just tell them this. It's Jesus. 
And I'd love to sit down and talk with you more. Or come to church with me. We'll talk about it more there. There are ways to share the good news of Christ. Noah warned the folks of judgment. He wasn't silent. And his character stood out among the people of his day. Let it be said of us. So as we, this last phrase today, even when everything, and hear this carefully, even when everything goes sideways, God always loves. He always cares. Always protects. He always provides for those who belong to him. Let's be people that would pattern our lives after a note. Did, was he perfect? Not in any stretch of the imagination. But there are things in his life we can draw from. And remember, sin remains. The DNA of sin is here. So I'm going to ask this question with nobody's head bowed or anything. I want you to listen to me carefully. I just wonder, has sin reached its critical mass in you? Think about it. Now, you may never have come to a place where you have made a declaration of Christ as Savior. I want to give you that opportunity in just a minute. But I wonder, has sin reached critical mass? What I mean by that is you just feel as if I can't, I can't make any headway. I can't make any progress. And it feels like every time I take a step forward, it's too back. Sin's just... You say, well, what do you, what do you mean, Gary? Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, and you fill in the blank. That which is not of faith, hear me, that which is not of faith is sin. You say, wow, I didn't think about that. That which is not of faith is sin. So there are things that our lives, we can become so caught up. Maybe it's just a lack of concern. Maybe it's complacency. So, so, self, so, we're all so self-satisfied that we, we just, we get caught up. Sin reached critical mass in us. Remember, sin's DNA remains. That DNA will not, we are new creatures in Christ, but we will always battle the DNA. That's why there's so much scripture about how to overcome temptation and things to do. DNA remains. Remember, this is the days of Noah. Time is short, we don't know. Character. I want to live with character. I want my life to be filled with character. I want to be blameless and righteous in the sight of God. That's not something I do. It's the grace of God. and It's the things that I put in my life that can build my life that God will take notice of me and find favor in me. I want to be a person who shares God's word.